Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. Many good things take place in the life of this congregation. I want to remind you, this coming Saturday, men will be a men's breakfast, and Drew Cosby will be speaking to us, and it will be a wonderful time to enjoy. It will begin at 8 to 9 uh, 30, from 8 to 9.30 in the morning. Be sure and sign up at the Welcome Center so that plans can be made about that breakfast. And also beginning at noon, from about noon to 1 o'clock, will be a skeet shoot. And if you would like to go and be a part of that, uh, it'll be a good time of fellowship. And uh, many enjoyed that when we had our men's retreat last year. And many shot for the first time and and trying to get them to go up there and shoot the first time. They, no, no, I don't want to try it. I don't want to try it. And then once they shot around, we couldn't get them to set back down. They wanted to do the next round and the next round. So if you're thinking that's something you might not enjoy, you may be surprised. You might enjoy it a whole lot. And it'd definitely be good fellowship. What we want to do is we want to grow closer to God and closer to each other, God's children. And what wonderful opportunities we have. Take advantage of the opportunities to get to know each other. To serve God together, to be in fellowship together, and to enjoy being a part of God's family together. Have you ever changed? I couldn't stand to be around him. He was arrogant, profane, and repulsive. Seems strange because now I'd rather be with him than any person I know. He inspires me to live better. The man speaking was describing the before and after of his brother-in-law's conversion. Before he became a Christian, he made his living gambling and his language was repugnant. That's all changed. He's pure through and through. He's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever known. Clyde Thompson was an inmate in the Texas prison system and he was considered one of the most unmanageable inmates that Texas had at that time. As a matter of fact, he was in isolation for over half of his 28 years, unable to see anyone or to obtain any kind of material. You see, by the time of age 17, he says he does not know how many people he killed. Finally, one guard allowed him to have something he was not allowed to have. That was something to read. This guard gave him a Bible. He began to read it, and it took several years, but slowly... Clyde began to change. Finally, because of his dramatic change in conduct, he was allowed to go into the rest of the prison system and finally came up for parole. Since he has been out, there have been many years that he has baptized 300 individuals a year as he continues to do work with those in prison and those who have just been discharged from prison. What a change. What a change. From murdering people to telling people about their Savior. Have you ever changed? Maybe the changes that you've needed to make in your life haven't been so drastic. But friends, every one of us needs to make changes in our life. From our fleshly human nature that is unholy to that which is spiritual, godly, and devoted to God. The text that we've had so capably read for us is from that beautiful passage of Ephesians, where for, from time to time, for several months now, we've been coming back to it and looking at various lessons that Paul wanted those of Ephesus to learn. Remember, this is a writing to a healthy church. In other words, this is one of those times where Paul could have said, hey, now that everything's going well for you as a congregation, 
here's some things I just don't want you to forget. And he talked about their heritage in Christ. And then he talked about their life in Christ. And so for the first three chapters, he's talking about things that we're going to inherit, things that we are going to enjoy if we are living our life in Christ. But the last half of the chapter, he talks about ways we're going to change. He talks about this new life that we're going to live if we're living our life in Christ. And so in this passage, we have a beautiful, challenging read. And it's only beautiful in the sense of this is what we can leave. It's beautiful to think we don't have to stay here. Now tonight, we'll go further in this same text. And what Paul does later in this same text is he kind of gets out the nuts and bolts and he says, let's talk about some specific things that you ought to do in your life. The truth is, in sermons and in Bible classes, most people enjoy those type of lessons more. Because it's more of the lessons that's easier to grasp, it's more hands-on, it's easier to apply. But Paul did not begin there in this text. He began with the principles. I want to beg you this morning, let's take these principles serious. And then let's come back this evening and say, now if we apply these principles to our life, how is that going to be lived out day in and day out? What are the nuts and bolts of that? And tonight we'll only look at a few of the nuts and bolts. But as we think about this new life that we want the Lord to form in us, Paul spends quite a bit of time and in the short passage, many details to say, here's the life that I want you to leave, and here's why I want you to leave it. I'd like for you to go back again and glance at 17 through 19. And I'd like for you to notice the words, if you can see the screen, that are underlined. You see, there are three things that he talks about, the walk of the heathens. In other words, he no longer, now that we are Christians, and you see how he begins verse 17? This, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. They loved Paul dearly. He spent about three years with them, longer with them than any other place when he stopped on missionary journeys. They had a very close relationship. So out of respect, Paul says, I'm saying this to you because I believe you'll respect me. But then it needs to go further than that. And he says also, I'm going to testify to you the words of the Lord. Friends, please realize what we're studying this morning, the words of the Lord. These are big changes that God asks us to make. It's not changes that by the authority of the elders, you're being asked to make that change to be a part of this congregation. It's not that a preacher meditated upon some things and by his authority says, this would be some great things for you to consider. This, Paul says, is a testimony from God, from the Lord. Here's how heathens, here's how Gentiles walk. In other words, this is how they conduct themselves. Notice the word there, ownership, T-H-E-I-R. Three things he says in this text that you can note about the heathens. He says, notice their mind. The beginning of 18, notice their understanding. The end of 18, notice their heart. Now let's go back and see what he wants us to notice about these things that ought to be changed in our life because we don't want to walk as the heathens walk. Number one, he says there at the end of 17 that we should not any longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind. A futile mind. What is a futile mind? How would you define that? 
Futility means moral depravity. So then we say, what does moral depravity mean? When one is depraved, it has become corrupt. Moral corruptness. But then if you were to define corruption, it means to be ruined. No longer suitable. Spoiled. Now that's interesting when we think he says here... The Gentiles, the heathen's mind, now let's take this word ruin and put it back with morality. Their moral standards are ruined. Why do we not want to be like the heathens? They don't have a sense of direction any longer when it comes to spiritual and moral things about this life. How dangerous is that? You know, this past Sunday afternoon, I was driving to Martin, Tennessee to speak there on Sunday evening. And I am so thankful. I'm not bragging. I'm thankful. I am so thankful that for Christmas I received a GPS system. I'm so tired of driving around lost. And so when, when they started to give me directions uh, to get to Martin, Tennessee, which I didn't have a clue where it was, I said, oh, I don't need directions. Just give me a good address. And, uh, and so I got in the car and I typed in the address. And I'm, I'm sure some of you that kind of work out of your car, you know what I'm talking about. I get in the car and I set my passenger seat up as a little office. And I say, okay, right after I eat a bite, I'll, I'll have three hours to study. And so I hit the interstate, and, and by now I'm used to the little GPS system. You know, I don't even think when it says turn right, I just turn right. I'd be one of those guys that di- drive off the dock if that's what it said to do. And so, so I'm driving along, and I'm studying, and when it says turn in 500 feet, I flip the, the signal light on, and when it says turn, I turn. And, and I've been off the interstate now for a pretty good while. And, and, and over two hours of the trip, it passed by, and it dawned on me. I don't have a clue where I am. I don't even know where I got off the interstate. I was so in-depth in my lesson and thinking, I could not have even guessed at when I left the interstate. I had turned several times on roads after I left the interstate and had no idea what roads I'd been on. And I thought to myself, I hope this thing doesn't blink out on me because I don't know where I came from and I don't really know where I'm going. Now, think about a total dependency upon a system And the Lord says, that's what I want you to have. Because you see, our data comes from God. And so if God says turn right, we turn right. If God says turn left, we turn left. If God says no, we say no. If He says yes, we say yes. Now here's the problem with the heathens. The heathens' GPS system is ruined. It's corrupt. They're not receiving proper data. Therefore, they're not receiving proper direction. And so he defines it by saying the futility of the mind. He's literally saying their data is completely corrupt. Now what's that going to cause? What leads to a second thing? Notice the second thing, their understanding darkened. Now, understanding, of course, deals with the mind, and it deals with the mind in deep thought. When you really, really think about something... Is your thinking obscure or is your thinking very clear? How many times have we studied on something in our mind and we said, I still, I I just can't see at all what I ought to do in this situation. Well, in that particular situation, we have said, 
I'm kind of darkened here in my understanding. I don't know exactly what to do. Now, if it's just a decision between two things that are good, that's, that's not that serious of a situation. But if it is a decision between something that is moral and something that is immoral, and we're honestly saying, I, I don't see really what's the big deal here. I, I really don't see what is the decision that ought to be made. What happens when our understanding is darkened? I'd like for you to notice this next slide, and this came out of Motor Vehicle Handbook. And this is a picture, and it is showing a road through a windshield, and it is teaching the need to be aware of the situation around you. It is showing the need uh, not to tailgate. It's showing the need to continually scan the road. I wish you could see what I'm seeing. I'm seeing so many are going like this. Why are you doing that? You see, I intentionally darkened the picture. Because right now, your understanding's darkened. There is a road hazard in this picture, and you're making out some things, but you're not making out probably the hazard. But now let's take this very same picture and let's lighten this same picture up just a little bit. Isn't it so clear now that what was right in front of you was a stalled vehicle blocking both lanes? Friends, if your understanding is enlightened, you're clearly seeing, now you can make proper decisions. Think how many people, when it comes to immorality, their understanding's darkened, and they plow right into problems in life. And they say, I didn't see that. I had no idea that was there. A lot of people can even honestly say, I had no idea it was wrong. A lot of people, even after they're involved in the accident, still do not even know that it's wrong. How can that be? The Lord says, I don't want you to walk. I don't want you to conduct yourself as the, as the heathens. Why, God? What's wrong with the heathen way of thinking? And he says, look at their mind. It's futile. It's completely lost. Look at, their, look at their understanding. It's darkened. But look at the third thing as he says, look at their heart. When we look deeper into verse 18, we see the heart was blind. The blindness of their heart. The heart is our deepest desires. Right now, if, if just in a moment you had to say, what is it that you want more than anything else? That would be your heart speaking. Hopefully, our deepest desire would relate to our relationship with God and our hope. Maybe you might say, oh, my deepest desire is for my family to be saved. My deepest desire is, for, is to have a close relationship with God. My deepest desire, do your deepest desires, do, do, do they have something to do with God? Notice here, their heart was set upon blindness. Now, when you and I read about the miracles that Jesus performed and He healed the blind, this is a different Greek word. Now, if we wanted to make the lesson real clean and neat, we'd go ahead and use it as if it just has to do with not seeing because that fit real well into a GPS system and, and darkened, wouldn't it, to just say, now we just don't see it all. That's really not what He's saying here. You see, the blindness here 
is never translated to talk about sight. The blindness here is a Greek word. And my children weren't allowed to call each other this, so I'm telling you younger kids, it's not good to call each other this, but there is a place that this is a proper word. And the Greek here means stupidity. Their heart has been set upon stupidity, on callousness, where an individual that is godly would say, don't you see that what you're wanting is going to hurt you so much? And the one that has a blind heart says, that's not going to hurt me, I don't feel anything. I'm fine. I'm going to keep going this same path. I'm going to continue heading towards that stalled car and I'm going to do it full speed. Someone says that would be a stupid thing to do. Oh, that's what I'm doing. The heathens live a dangerous life. As a matter of fact, it's a deadly life spiritually. Now, as we think about this, I'd like for you to go back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Let's skip a slide and go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 17. And notice here some other words that are underlined. And the words that are underlined now on your screen, underlined and in bold, they describe what happens to their mind, their understanding, their heart. Notice there that the mind is going to be, if it's a feudal mind, like the Gentiles walk. And notice their understanding is going to leave them alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And look at the end of 18, because of the blindness of their heart, verse 19, it's going to leave them being past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness, and to work all uncleanliness with greediness. So the plea is that we no longer walk as the heathens walk. And so if our mind is futile, that's what the result is. Listen, I can't say I want to be a godly, religious, spiritual-minded person, but I want to direct my own life. You see, when I direct my own life, my GPS system is ruined. I have the futility of mind if I take things out of God's hands and I place it in my hands. And so anytime I say, I want my will to be done, I'm saying, I want to walk like the world walks. I want to walk like the heathens. But notice the second. As we think about their mind, I'm sorry, as we think about the understanding being darkened, notice first he said they're alienated from a life of God. Let's go to the next screen. And notice how it did not say alienated from God. Notice it said alienated from a life of God. This morning we began this lesson by giving a couple of illustrations of people who totally changed their life. Now I want to ask you something. Did they do something that was minor or did they do something major? I want you to imagine that point B is a life that is formed by God. And I want you to imagine that point A is an individual that they may go to church on Sunday mornings. They may be religious, especially on Sunday. But they have not truly changed their heart, their understanding, and their mind. 
maybe we could illustrate it like this. Most of you women got up this morning and you put on makeup. One of the reasons I guess that you would do that is to cover up blemishes or to bring out features. But think about this. At the end of the day, you'll wash your face and what you started with is still underneath. Some of you men have uh, put in a little hair product and done away with some of the gray. But in a few weeks, that product will wear off and the gray is still there. Now we can either decide to become the new man created by God or we can keep the old person and just keep covering things up. Just add a little religion here. Change a few bad habits here. Try to create some kind of godly reputation. But you and I individually know whether or not the old person is still there. If we haven't had a genuine change, we'll always be alienated from the life of God. Individuals that say, you know, I just don't really feel comfortable around Christians. I don't know what it is about those people up at church. I'd much rather be with my buddies at work. You see, what they're admitting is, I'm alienated from the life of God. People that have truly lived a new life, I just don't feel comfortable around them. Now, if you'll throw some good neighbor, worldly people in the mix, I'm right at home with them. Which one are you more comfortable with? Are you more comfortable with the people that have truly aligned themselves with God? Or have you alienated yourself? Now keep in mind, he gives us the reason, and the reason is our understanding's darkened. We can't see clearly. But notice the next thing that he said was that of ignorance. We're making decisions based off ignorance. Think about this one for a minute. Chew it over, and if you don't agree with it, throw it out. It's just something I thought of this week as I was studying for this lesson. You can't make a decision based on information you do not have. But you can make a decision based on ignorance. Isn't that interesting? How many people never stop and gather their knowledge from God so that they can make righteous decisions how to live their life? But without that knowledge, they still can make tons of decisions based on ignorance. And here's what he's saying. He says, when your understanding's darkened, you're just making one decision right after another based on ignorance. But the problem is the deadly obstacles are still right in front of us. We're just ignorant of it. But then finally in this, notice he said their heart. Their heart was blindness and what was the result? Notice the result was past feelings. As we think about past feelings, one way to describe it is not just, one way is apathetic, but another way is to grieve out. Think about that for a moment. To grieve out. 
You know when something bothers you so much and you say, I can't believe I did that. That was wrong. I should have never done that. And it keeps you up at night and you're kind of grieving about it and you're concerned about it and you're worried about it. But you know the next time you commit that same sin, it doesn't bother you as much. You grieve less about it. This time it bothers you, but it doesn't keep you up at night. The next time you commit the sin, you don't hardly grieve more than an hour or so. The next time you commit the sin, you grieve only a few moments. And then before long, you've grieved out your past feelings. Now, notice the danger of that is in verse 30 of this same chapter. If you have your Bibles open, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, there is one that's going to continue grieving over our sin, and it's the Godhead. It's the Holy Spirit. He grieves for our wrong. And it's a shame when we reach the point that we're past feelings. We've grieved out. When... We no longer have a desire to serve God. That GPS system is not in effect. Then the only thing that directs us is our lewdness, inciting lust, sinful desires that we want. And so now we're grieved out of depending on God. Now it's all about us. And what is that life going to produce? Notice he says to work all works of all uncleanliness. You see, that's just a broad description there. Uncleanliness is, is almost as broad as the word sin itself, but it's talking about all of the sins that deal with immorality, that deal with uncleanness. You see, we're grieved out, past feeling, so now we're driven by our own lust. Anything that's unclean, we're glad to be a part of it. And notice the end, he says, with greediness. You see, that was kind of Paul's dagger to say, oh, you think you're going to like this new life. But the truth is you're going to continue practicing covetousness. I don't know why this word is translated greedy here because every other place in the scripture is translated covetousness and that helps us better understand it. You know, covetousness is when we want someone else's. And so now he says, oh, so you think you're going to be content with your ungodly life? No. You're going to practice all of your uncleanliness and you're going to look around at other people's uncleanliness and you're just going to wish that you could have their uncleanliness too. You're not going to find a place in contentment and among the unrighteous conduct of the heathens. Now, to extend the invitation, I'd like for you to look at this next slide And as we look at this, I want you to just notice, and we're going to come back and develop this a little bit more tonight and go deeper into this text. What's the Lord wanting us to do? In Ephesians 4 and 20, if we're ever going to turn this around, we've got to learn Christ. You see, the problem of the heathen is they've not learned Christ. Now, look at verse 22. To learn Christ, we're going to have to put off, and then we have him in the commas, in between the commas there, concerning your former conduct, the old man. If we're going to learn Christ... We put off the old man. Then we go down into 24, and you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice in 23, the only way that man, that new man can be put on is the renewing of our mind. You remember their mind? And now we have to change from that heathen mind that was futile, and we have to renew that mind that is set upon God. Put off the old man, put on the new. But it's not like just applying some makeup or some kind of hair product. It's about a total 
deep spiritual surgery where we put to death that old person and by Jesus Christ we're made alive to live that new life. Who are you this morning? I'm not saying who would your family say that you are or who your friends would say or even who you would want to say that you are. This morning, honestly, who are you? Are you honestly a new person that from your heart, your understanding, and your mind, you're that new person set on God? If not, wouldn't this be a wonderful morning to say, I want to be made anew. Lord, I want you to create me. I give myself over to you, full submission. I'm going to put my mind in submission submission to your will. That's that faith system. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Lord, if you say turn right, I'll turn right. If you say left, I'll turn left. Lord, I'm willing to live my life for you and let the chips fall where they may. I want to be your child no matter what. I want to be new, created anew by you. Friends, it's dangerous to remain that old person and keep clinging to a mind that is ruined, to spiritual eyes that can no longer see clearly, to a heart that is so callous, the Lord would say, is practicing stupidity. It doesn't have to be that way. It's our choice. By the grace of God, it's our choice. If you need to be baptized into Christ for mission of sins, or if you need to come back to Him and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.